41. Genesis 41. We'll look at the last couple verses there and go into chapter 42 through verse number 8 tonight. Genesis 41, verse 54 through chapter 42, verse number 8. The Bible says, And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all the dearth was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither, and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren. For he said, lest preadventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he, it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made him strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren. But they knew not him. Father, I pray you'd bless the next few minutes that we have here this evening. As we look at this passage and as we dive a little deeper in tonight. I pray that you'd help us learn something tonight. And I believe there's a valuable lesson to be learned if we could just... I know it's a Wednesday night. I know many people are tired tonight. I know that some have in our school and things that cold going around. And I pray that you just bless our time here tonight. And I pray that you'd help us get what you have for us. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 21 years has passed since, jo since Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Much has happened in his life in those 20, 21 years, a long time. Think back 21 years ago. The year 2000, remember everyone thought all the computers were going to stop working in 2000. And like my parents, we had water for months, and we had all this canned food and all this stuff stored up, because Y2K was going to happen. That was 21 years ago. That's how long it was for Joseph since the time that he had been sold into slavery. There have been many trials, many valleys in his life. There have been many mountaintops and victories as well. The young man, the 17-year-old, became a man in this time. The slave had become basically the prime minister of Egypt. And this passage before us 
lets us see how everything comes full circle to Joseph. And how Joseph sees his brothers again after 21 years. The last time they met Joseph, Joseph was at a disadvantage. They all ganged up against him. His brothers treated him roughly. They cast him into a pit. But this time, they're in need. And they're coming to the, mo the second most powerful man in the land. This time, they're treated a little roughly. And they're thrown into prison for a little bit of time. When Joseph's brothers see him after all this time, they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. I believe that God used this encounter with Joseph to help his ten brothers. God used this event to awaken, for some of them, a conscience that had died from what they had done previously. I'm going to look at this passage tonight, and I'm going to tie some things together. I'm going to preach the message tonight of a little Bible study on resurrecting a dead conscience. Before I get into the details of it, I want to explain to you what a conscience is. Because many people don't have a true understanding of what a conscience truly is. You really look at a conscience and we think about Jiminy Cricket. And he's got, you know, and always let your conscience be your guide. And did I do a pretty good job? I thought that was pretty good right there. And I could have sang a little bit more of that song, but I'm going to leave it there. It's a dangerous thing to let your conscience be your guide. So we're going to talk about that and why tonight. When we, tonight we're going to look at the conscience and what it does and how we can protect our conscience. Young people in the room, this is a good sermon, a good message tonight for you to pay attention to. Because sometimes we look in our world today and we're like, how could someone do something so bad? Their conscience has died. You keep doing wrong and you keep going against what you're supposed to do. And you'll see some results from that. We'll talk about it tonight here in a few minutes. We'll show you from these verses and other verses in Scripture tonight how the conscience is seared, how the conscience is stirred, and how the conscience is saved. But before we go there, I want to explain to you what the conscience is. If you look in the dictionary, the dictionary defines the conscience as the inner sense of what is right or wrong in one's conduct or motives, impelling one toward right action. The Greek word for conscience means to know together. The conscience is a gift that God has given to all men. It gives mankind the power to know what moral judgment to, you know, the power of moral judgment. The conscience appears 31 times in the New Testament. And one of, some of the best reading I've done on the conscience actually comes from John MacArthur. And he wrote this, he said, The conscience entreats us to do what we believe is right and restrains us from doing what we believe is wrong. The conscience is not to be equated with the voice of God. It is a human faculty that judges our actions and thoughts by the light of the highest standard we perceive. When we violate our conscience, it condemns us, triggering feelings of shame, anguish, regret, 
anxiety, disgrace, and even fear. When we follow our conscience, it commends us bringing joy, serenity, self-respect, well-being, and gladness. And that came, just so I quote it right, that came from his book, The Van Conscience. Tell you what page, but I don't have to go that deep with it. The conscience is not a guide for your life. It acts like a rudder for the soul. I think a good way to word it would be the conscience is an early warning system to help warn you about what is coming. It lets you know there's a danger coming ahead. When we go against the warning of our conscience, it eats at us and lets us know that we're not doing what we know we should do. But you go long enough down the wrong Against the conscience, the conscience will just die out and you don't feel those feelings anymore. The regret and those things fall away. Regardless of how it may seem at times, everyone has a conscience. And then you think about that, and since that's true, and you might say, well, why is it that some people feel no guilt or shame by the actions that they do? How could someone step into a mall and open fire on people with no remorse for it? How could teenagers take a gun into a high school and shoot fellow students? How could someone take a gun into a gay bar and shoot people in a gay bar? How do those things happen if everyone has a conscience? The answer lies, I want to give you a little bit more of what John MacArthur said. He also said this, he said, The conscience, however, is infallible. Nor is it the source of revelation about right and wrong. Its role is not to teach us moral and ethical ideas, but it's accountable to the highest standards of right and wrong we know. Get this. Your conscience only reacts to what it knows and has been taught. So if your conscience and young people in the room and adults in the room, if your conscience has been taught that the Bible is the word of God and that its guide is what is right and that's your sense of right and wrong, then your conscience will react to what the Bible says by what you've taught it. But if you don't believe the Bible is right and you get your sense from this world of what is right and what is wrong, your conscience is not going to lead you in the right direction or help you. It comes down to what you teach your conscience. It's very important. If the conscience is taught that cursing and drinking, wicked living are right, then the conscience won't have a problem with those things. If the conscience is taught what the Bible says, the conscience will go down that road and convict you when you don't do what you're supposed to do. Another guy by the name of J. Oswald Sanders wrote this about the conscience. He said, every conscience needs instruction. Its delicate mechanisms have been thrown off balance by the fall. Just as a bullet will reach the bullseye only if the two sights are in correct alignment, so correct moral judgments are delivered only when the conscience is correctly aligned with the Scripture. That's why it's very important and dangerous, and you've got to realize this tonight, to let your conscience be your guide. That might be a good practice if your conscience has been guided in the right book. But if your conscience has not been put in the right book, it's dangerous to follow your conscience because your conscience will only go with what it knows. 
Having said that, the conscience is a great gift that God's given to us. Everyone has a sense of what is right and what's wrong to some degree. Everyone knows from a young age that murder's wrong. Right? You don't have to teach that very much. Most, peop- most people just get it. Most people realize what wrong is to some degree. And why is that? Because God has placed, he has written his law within the heart of man. Romans 2, verse number 15. The Bible tells us, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meaning, while well, accusing or else excusing one another. So everyone has the law of God written on their heart. That doesn't mean they're saved by any stretch of the means, but it means we have a sense of right and wrong. And remember, didn't Adam and Eve get a sense of what was right and wrong? You'll be as God if you eat the fruit, and you'll know right and wrong. We see this before our eyes, and as we go further tonight, Joseph's brothers, I believe, their conscience had gone silent long before this time. But God's about to revive them and help them tonight. Number one, I want to get into these points and get to them before we run out of time. Number one, we see how the conscience is seared. How is the conscience seared? If you remember the story of Joseph's early life, you'll remember that his brothers sold him into slavery. Then they killed an animal put the animal's blood all over their brother's coat, brought the coat to their father and told him that they had found the coat. Jacob assumes the worst. He bought into the lie, and he thought that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. And Jacob mourned for over 20 years for his son. And these boys knew the truth the entire time. They knew what happened. They knew the truth. They knew how Jacob felt. And as they sold their brother and watched his captors haul him away, it had to have tugged at their hearts. Don't tell me how it couldn't have. There had to have been, there's a something not right about what we're doing. When they lied to their father that their brother had died, there had to have been something there that grieved them a little bit. Had to. But as time passes, those feelings go away. They get silenced. They may have even come to the place where they believe their own lies about their own brother. I believe it's very clear in Scripture that these brothers seared their consciences. They came to a place where their heart stopped speaking to them about their guilt about their brother. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 2, it says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This verse refers to people who ignore their conscience to the point that it no longer speaks to them. Because they've seared their conscience. They've silenced the warning system in their life to help them not do wrong. In 1984, there was an airline, uh, it was uh, Avantica Airlines. This plane was flying over Spain. 
It crashed into the mountains, and everyone on board the jet died instantly. Investigators went up to that mountain there, and they found the black boxes. And they were amazed as they listened to the cockpit recording in the minutes prior to the crash. The pilot could have avoided the mountain if he would have just listened to the computerized voice. It was a female speaking English which said, pull up, pull up, pull up, over and over again. And on the black box, the pilot was heard saying, shut up, gringo, and turned it off. And with that, the pilot turned the system off. He ignored the warnings, flipped the switch, and moments later, everyone died on that flight because the pilot didn't heed the warnings that the plane was giving him. That's what happens when the conscience is ignored. When we start to do something that's wrong, when we know the truth and we have the word of God, the conscience is telling us, hey, don't do that, don't do that, hey, pull up, pull up. If we heed the voice and pull up, all will be well. If we ignore the voice and do as we please, we begin the process of searing the conscience. The next time the voice of the conscience will not be heard as loudly or clearly, and as we keep going in the wrong direction, the, silent, the conscience will eventually silence itself because you don't listen. Every time we ignore the voice of the conscience, we're retraining the conscience. We're teaching it that we believe that harmful things are okay. Or if you follow this book, and you, do, you don't have to follow this book. It's okay. The way I'm living, it's okay. The things I'm doing right now, it's okay. And the more you do that, and we retrain our consciences, the worse it gets. And our culture that we live in today, we live in a culture that tells us that we need to silence the voice of guilt. The only weak people, they say that only weak people have problems with right and wrong because their reality is there is no right and wrong. Everything's relative today. But what our, what our society is trying to do is trying to silence the conscience and what is right from the Word of God. We need to be very careful. And if our conscience tells us that something isn't right and we've trained it right, Listen to it. Pull up. Pull up. You don't have to be a casualty like all those people on that flight. And as I said, and we can go further down this line, but the conscience is not infallible. It only knows what it's been taught. That's why some people, they have an overactive conscience. You could read Romans 14 and 15. And people who've been raised in an atmosphere around legalism, and I, have, I even have some of it in me at times, and who have been taught everything is wrong tend to have a sensitive conscience. And so the conscience jumps at any little thing it sees that's just, and some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, thank God for that. Because the conscience can be trained by tradition, it can be trained by the Bible, it can be trained in lots of different ways. But then you've got others who have a strong conscience and know they have liberty in the Lord, and they take that even further, and you've got to watch out for that. Be careful that you don't sear your conscience. The word sear is where we get the word or carterized from. When a wound is carterized, heat is used to seal off the blood vessel to stop bleeding. 
The word originally meant to brand, to mark by branding. Branding causes a scar, and the scar had no nerve endings. I guess you know what I mean. Don't get to the point to where your conscience stops. But when you keep, and as we get closer to we see speaking in lies, having their conscience seared, we see it's going to happen, but don't let it happen to you. Number one tonight, we see how the conscience is seared. Number two, I want you to see how the conscience is stirred. What does God do in the lives of these brothers here in our passage tonight? They've allowed their hearts to become hard. They have no, why, how else could they go 21 years and never deal with the wrong that they've done? It's just a given that this is what's happened. They have seared their consciences and they ceased to feel anything about the whole situation. And the Lord uses several things that happen in this passage to stir up their conscience again. The first thing that we see, letter A, is we see that God used problems to stir them. The problem God orchestrated to awake dead consciences of these men was a worldwide famine. <laughs> he got their attention. Those men would have had no reason to ever go to Egypt for anything. Don't you think they knew that Joseph could possibly be in Egypt? He wasn't killed. I don't think they would think that he would be second in command. I think they might think that he might be a slave there, but what if they go to Egypt and they see Joseph there? Why go to Egypt? There's no reason that for them to ever go to Egypt. And then we see, and you even see in verse number 1 of chapter 42 here, what does Jacob ask them? He says, why do ye look one upon another? Hey, why aren't you guys going to Egypt to go get food? That's where it's at. Why are you sitting here looking at one another not going? Could it have been that they're like, Joseph's there. Maybe he would be the one to fill our bags with the grain that we get. You never know. But as we look at this, God used a famine to get to these young men. Well, they're not young anymore. They're 21 years older. So I like some of you in the room around 40 or something like that, 45. I'm just about there too. You know, sometimes God might use in your life problems to stir you up and to help you. He did for Joseph's brothers. Letter B, we see that God used people to stir them. These boys head to Egypt. Their father refuses to let them take Benjamin. You see in verse number 4 his words? Because he still had some doubts about whatever happened with Joseph, and he didn't want to happen to Benjamin what happened to Joseph. Maybe the whole story still didn't make complete sense to him. I don't know what the case may be. I can't assume because I don't know. When the brothers arrive in Egypt... We see in verse 6 through 8 here that Joseph recognizes them right away. They don't recognize him, and one of the reasons why they wouldn't recognize him is because he's dressed like an Egyptian now. You know, the Hebrews dressed in those days in long robes. The Egyptians wore shorter ones. The Hebrews wore beards. Egyptian men shaved their faces and their heads. Say, so how do you know that? Didn't you watch the movie The Ten Commandments? It shows all that right there. Didn't they get all, didn't Charlton Heston all them get all their stuff? Never mind, we'll stop there. 
I'm just teasing you tonight, okay? But Joseph used this opportunity to have them there to teach them a lesson a little bit. But God used them. God used Joseph here. God used the famine. God used Joseph. Letter C, God used pain to stir them. Look at verse number 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them and said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, or ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. One of our brothers is gone. There's eleven of us. Youngest stayed with dad, and one is not. And it's amazing they're talking to the one who is not right before their very eyes, and they don't even realize it right there. What a sight to behold. And verse 14, And Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh ye shall not go forth thence, except your youngest brother come hither. And he goes into these things here, but we see he accuses them of being spies. And what do the brothers do? They try to defend themselves. Then Joseph comes up with this plan to really make them sweat. He demands them to go back and to bring the youngest one with them. And to bring him back that their story's true. They protest, and what happens? Look at verse number 17. And he put them all together into ward three days. They were in prison for three days. Three days is a lot less than all those years that Joseph was there, wasn't it? When we look at this, they had no choice but to bring Benjamin down. For Joseph's brothers, God used problems, pain, and people. For David, God used a man of God willing to confront the king. God also used the death of his son to get David's attention. For Samson, God used a Philip, uh, I was going to say a Philippine prison. No, a Philistine prison. Phil, yeah, Philistine prison. I was looking towards Edna and I thought, Philippines. No, Philistine prison. The loss of his eyes and his strength to get his attention. For Peter, God used a little girl out by the fire to get his attention knows what God will use to try and get the attention of his people. And this is what takes place for these men. But I will tell you something. God will do what he has to do to get us back. And I've heard many, many a parent have a wayward child. And they pray to God to do whatever he's got to do to get their attention amazing sometimes what God does because God will work and God will get their attention God did it here he used problems he used people he used pain to stir them 
And then number three and lastly tonight, we see how the conscience is saved. How is the conscience revived? When your conscience, and there will be times and when we let sin go in our lives and we don't deal with sin, that's when we get to where the conscience will be seared. And then God will do what he needs to do to try and revive and try and stir that conscience back up. But how is the conscience saved? As the story continues, let's read a little bit more. Look at verse number 18. It says, And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound into the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your wounds be, your words be verified. And he shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another. Look at this right here. We are very guilty concerning our brother. 21 years later. Sitting in a prison for three days. They're starting to get worked on. We are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress comes upon us. They are certain that all their trouble they were in at this moment was because of what they had done to their brother. And in verse 21 through verse 23, let's look at those verses again. It says, we're very guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear, therefore this, therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake not I unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child? And ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. What do you see them do in verse 21 through 23? Probably the first time. In 21 years, they admitted what they did wrong and they confessed what they did right here. And they didn't know that Joseph could understand them. A secret that remained secret for 20 plus years comes to the surface right now. He sends the nine brothers home and he keeps Simeon in prison. He sends his brothers home with the grain they needed to live he also put money back in their sacks, verse 24 through 28. When they find this, look at that, look there, it says, look at verse 25, And Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provision for the way, and thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender, in the end he espied, espied his money, for behold, it was in the sack's mouth. And he said unto his brother, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? Twenty plus years. Do we read anywhere that they were really bothered big time? They could see dad weeping and crying for twenty years for the death of his son, and they do nothing about it? We see that God stirred their consciences by the famine, used Joseph, and he used prison, the pain, to stir them up. And as we see this, 
And as we go further into it, if there's any takeaway from this chapter today, it's the truth that the conscience can be cleansed. If we allow the conscience to become dirty and to be, um, what's the word I'm thinking of, damaged, it can be restored. Let me help you tonight on how that can happen. The first thing you got to do, letter A, is confess and forsake all known sin. Consider your life in light of the Word of God. Deal with your sin God's way. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm um, 32, verse number 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I say I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. When did Joseph's brothers start, when did things start clicking? When they acknowledged and confessed their wrong from 20 years prior. We all know that be sure your sin will find you out. Sin just doesn't go away. It stays. It lingers. You know, we look at David and we look at what a mess David made of his life. But one of the things that we, and for a year, a year went from the time you see the Lord and David even talking to one another. From chapter, from those chapters there, chapter number 11 and 12 in 2 Samuel there. The man of God gives, tells David something and David's like, that guy deserves his life taken, should pay back all this. And Nathan says, that's you. David acknowledged his sin. Your conscience might not be where it needs to be because there's some sin in your life that you need to confess and get right. Has God forgiven you for everything you'll ever do? Yes, he has. Because you were forgiven at Calvary. You were forgiven everything. Your sins are forgiven. But you cannot live in sin and get away with it. It doesn't work that way. And our warning system, we are given that warning system by God. And if it's trained right and being, we need to use it in the right way. And so, letter A, confess and forsake all known sin. Letter B, seek forgiveness and reconciliation for all those you have wronged. Before you can be right with God, you need to make it right with the person you've wronged. I think that's Bible. Some references, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Look at what it says there. It says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, 
and then come and offer thy gift. Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, If ye will forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Next, make restitution to those you've wronged if possible. The Old Testament talks about that, Numbers 5, verse 6 and 7. Think about it in Philemon, verse 19, and also in Luke 19, verse number 8. How about this one? Letter D. Don't wait to cleanse a wounded conscience. When you violated your conscience by not listening to its voice, deal with your guilt immediately. It's what it says in Acts 24, 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void to offense towards God and towards men. That's what we want. We don't want there to be things. Deal with it. Take care of it. And then, number lastly tonight, letter E. And young people in the room, this is a good one for you. Parents in the room, this is a good one. Educate your conscience. Train your conscience in the things of God. Feed your conscience God's word. The Bible talks about Psalm 119, verse 1. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? We'll go to verse 11 in a minute, but verse number 1 says... Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Educate your conscience with the truths of God's word. Train it with what the Bible says. Not based on what the preacher says or what mom and dad say, but to have a pure conscience, we must be trained with the word of God. Twenty plus years. These men go. And really, if I had more time, I could show you several things that happened in these guys' lives during that time. Go back with me for a minute to um, go back to Genesis chapter 38. we got five minutes. I'm not going to take all five minutes, but I'm just going to take a couple minutes here. Um, in chapter 38, I don't need to go into all the details there, but that's when uh, Judah sleeps with his daughter-in-law as a prostitute. I wonder if, uh, if his conscience was a little seared during that time. And he could have known what was right to do, but because he had done wrong with his brother Joseph, he didn't listen. We could look even further and look at some other things that happened. Think about Simeon and Levi. Their dad said they were instruments of cruelty, what they did. Now those men, I know what they did was wrong too. 
But the way they handled it, I wonder if they would have handled things differently if they wouldn't have had their consciences seared by what they did with their brother. Just a thought. I didn't look it up, and so I'm going to make this claim, and I could be wrong. Okay? Because it just, what about Reuben and what he did? I believe that was after the time that Joseph was, all the things happened to Joseph. Do you see the sin that they went into? Because they didn't do what was right and confess it and get right. And you ignore the problem. You think the problem's just going to go away. No, in the long run, your conscience dies off and your warning system isn't there. Judah would have loved to have his warning system, but he didn't. I'm sure Simeon and Levi would have loved to have their warning systems. They didn't. Reuben, do I need to go any further? There's sin in your life. You need to confess it and get it right and move forward. And God will do what he has to do to wake you up and be ready for that. Why not just wake up now to it? Get your conscience cleansed and keep moving in the right direction.